Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. We're releasing this bonus episode on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, which has also become known as Small Business Saturday. It's a day when businesses around the country kick off their holiday shopping seasons. At Book Larder, we're actually hosting authors and doing cooking demos and samples from some of our favorite vendors all day today, so come by and see us if you get a chance. Small Business Saturday also reminds us that local businesses aren't just places to buy things. They're employers and contributors to our communities as well. It's that spirit of local business being about more than just profit that inspired today's guest, Lisa Ludwinski, to open her sister pie bakery in Detroit. Besides making some of the most delicious baked goods you'll find anywhere, Sister Pie's purpose is centered on people, its employees, customers, and neighbors. Lisa visited the Book Larder Kitchen in October 2019 to talk about her fantastic cookbook, Sister Pie, and her business's triple bottom line mission. Two of her employees, Angie Bartow and Brittany Bown, joined her on the visit, and you'll hear from them during the Q&A portion of the talk as well. Here's Lisa Ludwinski, Angie Bartow, and Brittany Bown of Sister Pie. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. This is my first time in the Pacific Northwest, and Brittany's too. It was actually Brittany's first time in a plane. So we're very excited to be here. This is the, the last night of our trip. Our flight leaves at 6 a.m. tomorrow, so it'll be a rude awakening. But um, we've had a really great time out here, and the book came out just over a year ago, and this is somewhere in the 60s. I've done about 60-plus events for the cookbook, which I realize, just even saying that exhausts me. So this will be one of the last for a while. But I'm so happy to be here because I've been following the store from afar for many years, and I'm just so honored and thrilled to be here. So thank you so much for coming out tonight and and having us here. What I'm going to do is talk a little bit about the history of our business and how we got it started. And then I'm going to talk within that a little bit about the cookbook writing process. Then I'm going to read the epilogue of the book. And then I love to just open it up to questions. And and tonight, you're lucky enough to be able to also ask two of my employees, two of my longest standing employees questions as well. So um, any embarrassing things you want to know, they will be more than happy to share them. So I started the business uh, seven years ago in the fall. I had been living in New York. When I was in college, I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in the metro Detroit area and then I went to a school in a small town called Kalamazoo and I studied theater. So when I moved to New York, I was going to pursue that. I wanted to be a director actually, but very quickly got distracted by food. (laughs) It was like the first time that I had to cook for myself, but also I was in this incredible food city And it was also around this time when food blogs were becoming really popular and there was kind of this like revolution happening with organic food and the local movement. You know, Mark Bittman was writing a lot and Michael Pollan. And and then I, of course, was always obsessed with Barefoot Contessa. And, you know, all these things were kind of coming together for me. I wanted to be a part of it, but I had just graduated from theater school, so I didn't quite have the resources to attend culinary school. So I had to kind of do it on my own. 
So I started filming a cooking show out of my apartment. This was like while I was also working as a nanny and a barista and a juice bar server. And I would put my computer on top of my refrigerator and film myself making a new recipe every week. So it was everything from croissants to chocolate mousse to fried chicken. And it was sometimes entertaining and sometimes really weird and Many of the episodes have been made private on YouTube, but you can still <laughs> you can still find them if you look hard enough. Uh, but it was a great way for me to kind of merge my experience with my newfound curiosity for cooking. So I did that for about two years and produced 100 episodes. And then I worked in a bakery, Milk Bar, actually. Started behind the counter. This was very early in Milk Bar's days. Um, started behind the counter in their original East Village location and then moved back into the kitchen because basically forced them to let me do that. And it was great because I was able to really understand that I liked this baking stuff, but I liked it at a, a larger scale as well. What I really enjoyed was the feeling of accomplishment at the end of every day, being able to like mix a batch of cookies or put pies into the oven and have them come out. And for me, that felt very simple and pure and challenging in a lot of right ways. But while I was there, I was also feeling a void in my life. I was the employee who was trying to lead group stretches and organize cookie swaps. And there was something else that was kind of calling me and I wasn't quite sure what it was. And so I entered a period of depression, um, <laughs> basically. Uh, this was probably my fifth or sixth year living in New York. I had lived in five different apartments and was still scraping by every day. And so I decided to kind of start seeking a little bit for what was next. Luckily, at work, working for the Momofuku company, they offer a scholarship program for any of their employees. So you can choose to take two weeks off of work and go anywhere in the world that you want to learn about anything at all. You have to set it up yourself, but they'll pay you two weeks of your regular pay to do it. So out of all the places in the world that I could go to, I decided that I wanted to go back to Michigan, <laughs> which was kind of really the beginning of my journey uh, with Sister Pie. And so I worked at two places, uh, one called Zingerman's Bakehouse and another one called Avalon International Breads. Um, Zingerman's, for those of you who nodded, I assume you know what it is. It's a community of businesses in Ann Arbor that are extremely inspirational to people across the country for their business practices and triple bottom line and um, their commitment to growing a good business for, for people and their community. And, and Avalon International Breads, which is a smaller business that is growing in Detroit, definitely followed in Zingerman's footsteps, but did it in Detroit, which is a significantly different city than Ann Arbor, and has also kind of had this legacy behind them and two incredible places to work at. And so I think what attracted me to them was not only their proximity to where I grew up, but also that they had these triple bottom line missions. So a commitment to not only profit, but people and planet. And it was the first time that I was really seeing that. I think much of my experience in New York was about, you know, let's make the best cookie that anyone's ever tried. But back in Detroit, I was seeing a little bit more of a holistic approach to, to business. And then about nine months later, I went to California for the very first time, and I visited San Francisco, and I saw these worker-owned and cooperative-style bakeries and businesses, and I thought, okay, 
This isn't just happening in Detroit. This is happening here. And this is another thing that I connect with. And so that was really kind of when I had the light bulb moment. And I will say part of the impetus for coming to the Pacific Northwest this time around was because seven years later, I'm kind of feeling like I don't know what's next for the business. And, and so I'm seeking inspiration from the West a lot of times. So I think, it, I think it's happened. But um, who knows what will happen tonight. Anyway, it was on that trip that I, I really decided I'm going to open a bakery and move, move back to Michigan not in that order. And so a couple of months later, I moved in with my parents in my childhood bedroom. This was in September of 2012. And I started developing pie recipes. I knew that I wanted to launch the business at Thanksgiving because I didn't want to waste any time. And pie was something I knew. I had worked for the summer at 4 and 20 Blackbirds in Brooklyn. And I'd also spent all the time at Milk Bar and spent every holiday day off that I got, which was there were very few of them, but I would always make a pie. That was kind of the thing that I liked to do the most. And so pie really stuck out to me. And when I thought about pie, I thought about sister pie. Uh, it's a nickname that my younger sister and I started calling each other in college. Just a, a simple term of endearment. We didn't really have like a pie connection. But when I thought about it for the business, it made a lot of sense. It would tell us, it would tell you what we make, but it would also inspire us for years and years to come about how to incorporate the values of sisterhood into a business. Um, and that's something that is we kind of think about and talk about all the time. And so that first Thanksgiving, I baked 40 pies out of my parents' kitchen, and I spent the next year writing my business plan in their basement, um, taking a, a little business class that was offered in Detroit, joining an organization called Food Lab in Detroit, which brings together a community of like-minded food entrepreneurs who are also trying to start triple bottom line businesses and just kind of got my name out there. The second year that I was in Michigan, I moved into the city of Detroit properly and also moved my business there, moved into a shared commercial kitchen space, a licensed kitchen, which meant that I could now have wholesale accounts. Previously, I was operating under the cottage food law. And that's when Angie joined the team. She became my longest standing employee back in November of 2013. And with her help, I was able to bake 150 pies for the next two Thanksgivings. And we spent our days together in the kitchen making products to deliver to customers, but also to coffee shops and markets all over town. Most significantly, a place called Parker Street Market, which used to be across the street from where Sister Pie is now. And it was started by a couple of my friends who really wanted a place to sell their cold-pressed juice, but also wanted to be able to kind of sell different Michigan products and produce. And so they told me, bring whatever you want. Anything that you're experimenting with, anything, we'll just, we'll just sell it. And so I started to bring them muffins and scones and pies and hand pies. And I was constantly traveling from Midtown, where the kitchen was, to the West Village, where Parker Street Market was, because they were selling out all of the time. And for me, as a young business owner, it was a great example that not only would people travel to a specific location to pick up pies, but that the people in the actual neighborhood really liked what we were doing, which for us was a very strong reason to think about putting our roots down there. And as luck would have it, a space became available across the street from Parker Street Market back in 2014. And we jumped on it. Maybe that was a good idea. Maybe it was a bad idea. I don't know. We had to get into the van with the landlord to discuss the lease. But um, <laughs> we're still there. So uh, we started kind of demoing it with friends, you know, tearing down wallpaper and taking ceiling tile down. We would feed them cookies. And then eventually we applied for a contest called the Hatch Detroit Contest, which back then would award $50,000 to a startup business in the city. Tonight, actually, was the, fi the final in, in Detroit for the 
the most recent round, and now they award $100,000 to a startup business to the city. So it's a really cool organization. And we had to kind of rally for votes and do a business plan, presentation, Q&A, all of that. And we won. It would be a pretty bad story if we hadn't. But um, (laughs) we won that, which was like a great first step into fundraising. Of course, being a big bakery business, we had to raise, you know, upwards of $200,000 to get our doors open. So we took out some non-traditional loans. And my most favorite example is that we did a 24-hour dance-a-thon, where I personally danced for 24 hours straight from 9 p.m. to 9 p.m. And uh, we raised over $26,000. So we really kind of like bootstrapped it and and used our resources and and the opportunities that we had, but then also really hustled. And we were able to open Sister Pie on April 24th, 2015. And we've really just been hustling ever since. We have a staff of 16 people. Brittany started working there, but a year after we opened. So she's one of our longest standing employees as well. We've had incredible opportunities to be written up in the New York Times and Bon Appetit and, and, you know, more and more people coming to the business while we kind of maintain this commitment to be a small, not multiple location style bakery. And so that's been kind of an interesting challenge for us. Back in the winter of 2016, an email popped up in our inbox from Lorena Jones, who is the editor of the cookbook, spoiler alert. She had visited Sister Pie and Detroit with her family, fell in love with the shop and asked me if I'd ever considered writing a book. Well, of course I had considered writing a book because I'm a person with business and I like food, but being as that I was running that business, I, I hadn't spent a lot of time working on my manuscript. So kind of having this person to kind of push me along was incredibly helpful and necessary. And so I got a literary agent, we wrote up a proposal, and I started work on the book. First thing I did was take every recipe I could think of that we ever made at Sister Pie and scale it down for a handful of recipe testers, my friends who kind of were scattered across the country, avid home bakers. And it was always really important to me that the recipes that people experienced in the shop were the things that were in the cookbook. So that wasn't, this wasn't going to be a cookbook from Lisa Lodwinski of Sister Pie. It was going to be truly the Sister Pie cookbook. We don't believe in secret recipes or anything like that. And so we wanted to be as transparent and share as much as we possibly could with our customers. And, and not only because we have people who come into the store every day that ask for the recipe, but also because we have people like you who live across the country and might not have Detroit on your list next, although I really think you should. It's a way for us to kind of spread what we're doing without having to grow our locations and, and kind of compromise some of the things that are really important to us and that we're kind of constantly working on, which is, you know, going back to that triple bottom line. So then that whole process of the recipe testing took about a year because I was only spending a couple days on it a week. And then I had to write, you know, the full manuscript. So the introduction, the history, an introduction to every single recipe, the epilogue. And I realized that I was going to have no time for that because we were still a one and a half year old business, two years old. We had so much to figure out. And so of course it made sense that I decided to take a month away (laughs) and fully become a writer for eight hours a day and finish the manuscript. And it was, it was both necessary and terrible. I, I made it happen. I got the manuscript in on time, but things at the bakery, you know, were really hard. And I think the silver lining is that we put out a cookbook, which has been great, but also we got to learn a, a lot about what we needed to get better at and what systems we needed to create. We have done that, and we're continuing to do that with every trip I take. <laughs> and then the book came out October 2nd of last year. It's had a great response. We're, we're super excited about it and kind of blown away. I think for us being this small bakery business, to be able to sell a few thousand copies of a cookbook 
Um, it's very different than selling and making a few thousand pies. You know, it basically took the effort of me writing the book and, and us just ringing it up at the register. And so it's really nice to kind of have that stream of revenue that requires very little of, of anyone in the bakery um, and has been really, really helpful and also has kind of increased our reach so that we're able to do really cool things like this, but that we're also able to share with people, you know, what we like about running our business and, and what we kind of think is the future of the food industry. So with that, I am now going to read a little bit from the book. So I wrote this with thinking about being a business owner and specifically being a business owner in Detroit. This is a picture of Detroit as seen from the top of my apartment building. I just live a couple of blocks away from Sister Pie. And as any cookbook author would tell you, I'm sure one of the very best parts of writing my book was working with Emily Berger, our food photographer. She was a longtime fan of Sister Pie, and we have a very active Instagram account, and so I've taken countless photos of everything we've ever made. So to have a professional come in who was also committed and devoted to the product and, and to see what perspective she could add was truly a treat. So I will read this now. My understanding of what sisterhood means has expanded over the course of my lifetime and will, I trust, continue to transform. It began when my sister Sarah was born and I learned to share. It continued as I made childhood friends, gleaning something new from each one as I discovered how to listen. It matures still in my role as a boss, working to develop inclusive values and practices. As a community member, I've grown to comprehend that I can and should question what has been made to seem normal. This path has not been perfect. I've made a million mistakes, burned bridges, and thought I knew it all before I knew enough. I had never considered opening a business until I considered opening one in Detroit. Every moment spent in this city surrounds me with kind, resilient people who collectively care for the greater good of our home. Detroit is too often advertised to outsiders as a blank slate, a wonderland where creative types can roam freely. The reality is that people have been making it work for a long time in Detroit, thriving against serious odds and protecting each other. My own familial ties to the region, coupled with this understanding, gave me the confidence I needed to succeed here. I happen to come from a family of family businesses. My grandfather started a plywood company in Detroit in 1967, and my father still runs it today. As times have changed, the meaning of family has changed, expanded, and become more complex and more interesting. Family is not only loyalty to your kin. By its new definition, a family is a social unit of people who relate to each other. The ties that bind families together are greater than blood. Sister Pie is a family business. It is our duty in this world to evolve, to always ask questions, and to push constantly against a system that values some lives more than others. As a young white woman running a business in Detroit, there is no denying my privilege. Yet as a business owner, I'm working to resist the patriarchal and capitalist norms that often define our work, our culture, and our world. I am surprised at how often the one I'm up against is me. Thank you. Thank you so much. So now we're ready for your questions. You can ask me or you can ask Angie and Brittany. We'll all answer whatever you like. 
I think it's real unusual with your shop that you have your community board and to pay it forward. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we have something called um, Sister Pie It Forward, which is, it was actually inspired by a pizza shop in Philly where there was a large homeless population that would be around the pizza shop. And so a lot of times customers would be buying slices for the homeless folks. And so the pizza shop decided to kind of make it an official thing. And so someone could buy a slice in advance, put a post-it note on the wall and, and someone could take it. And so we kind of wanted to do something similar to that, which is by no means a solution to like a much deeper income equality problem, but something that could make our pie instantly more accessible was pie it forward. So a customer can come in and pre-buy a slice of pie for someone and we hang it up on a little, it's actually the side of a refrigerator right now. And it's, you know, meant to be for someone who can't afford a slice that day or maybe someone who's never tried to beat pie and doesn't want to spend four bucks on it without knowing exactly what it tastes like. Or someone who just, you know, forgot their wallet or doesn't have the right change. Pie It Forward is there for anyone, no questions asked. That's, that's how it exists. Yes. I was just wondering about the seasonal shifts in the spring, summer, fall, winter. How if you're generating a lot more pies in the winter as opposed to summer. Yeah. We have found that... As of late, we don't really have a not busy season, <laughs> which is a good problem, I think, to have. But definitely, you know, January and February are a little bit slower with pie. Um, we don't really get any fruit in Michigan until May, really. So we're, we're making pies that have chocolate and lemon and, and maybe carrots or beets and other things like that throughout the winter and early spring. And then once we get fruit pie, it seems like pie in general is just more popular because everyone loves fruit pie. But in terms of kind of our process, the only month that's really kind of slow is January. Every other part of the year, we're really kind of busting it. It seems like there's, there's pie for every possible holiday you can think of. People always want pie. And we're also kind of a full-scale bakery. You know, we do cookies and shortbreads and scones and muffins and some savory items as well. So we do see a lot of shifts just with the seasonal nature of, of ingredients available to us. You know, Michigan is the second most agriculturally diverse state in the country next to California. And no offense, Washington. <laughs> just saying. Um, so, you know, we, we get a lot of great stuff that we can work with, but we get it in a very concentrated time. And so we have to become really, really creative the rest of the year with how to use fruits and vegetables. And, and that's kind of how the beet pie actually came to be because it was February and we were so sick of doing the same things over and over again. And I thought, we've got all of these storage beets, you know, and why not turn them into like a sweet potato style pie and for Valentine's Day with a bright magenta color and it's a pie that even beat haters love. So I feel very proud of it. And it's in the book. Could you guys tell us what keeps you at Sister Pie? And did you come as pie experts? We just spent a whole week together. Yeah. So um. <laughs> so what actually brought me to Sister Pie was, was just getting ready to like graduate high school. And it's been my first and only job. I remain at Sister Pie because I like the thought of us being a family and serving our community in a way that they seem to really enjoy it. And I like, I was born in Detroit and I've been there my whole life, so I think it's really cool. I love being a part of something greater than myself, first of all, something that involves food. <laughs> um, I think the evolution that Sister Bai has gone through and continues to go through and 
things that I've like directly been a part of and also things that are just like happening by nature of like the team growing and different personalities and, and backgrounds coming in has been like probably my greatest education in so many things. Uh, I'm not originally from the Detroit area at all and Sister Pie has kind of been the lens in which I look at that and, and my time there and it feels like infinite potential and that's why I am still here. <laughs> What are your favorite pies uh, from the book, and what is your most popular pie? So I'll start off by saying that it's hard to say a po- most popular pie because the flavors change so often. So it's kind of like what's the most popular pie in any given moment. The salted maple is a pie that we have year-round. That was actually inspired by both my experience at Milk Bar and 4 and 20 Blackbirds, where I was first kind of introduced to the concept of a chess pie. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily our most popular. My favorite pie in the book is the cranberry crumble. What's yours? The cardamom tahini squash. Both good for this time of year. What about you? Um, probably the honey lemon meringue. Yeah. Tart pies are definitely where my heart lies. Yeah. What's next for sister pie? That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really inspired by the folks at Zingerman's, as I've mentioned, and, and they've written a lot of business books on how to kind of create a vision for your business. And so for better or for worse, we've always kind of tried to apply that thinking to our business growth, but it's hard to write a vision when you're constantly trying to strategize how to just keep your doors open and keep everyone semi-happy. But that's also why writing a vision is so important, so that everyone who's part of the business can sort of know that they're working towards something, um, but also kind of you know live in the moment that you're in and understand the importance of that. We've recently due to, you know, demand and, and not a lot of space in our current location, been thinking about how to grow. And most recently, we had been exploring this opportunity just about a mile away from Sister Pie, where we would open another spot where we would have a breakfast and lunch cafe and classrooms and a big, big kitchen to do wholesale in and office space. And it was like 8,000 square feet. Well, just as of a couple weeks ago, we actually pulled out of that project because couldn't come to great lease terms. And I think people sometimes ask the question, what is the hardest part about being a woman in business? And my answer is always, whenever I have to deal with men. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that holds very, very true when we're dealing with any sort of property negotiations. And I think that's the one area, that's, that's one area where women and people of color are just so lacking opportunity and lacking position. And so I think it became clear to us throughout that process that that wasn't really going to work for us anymore. And so I think we know that moving forward, we want to be able to like own something and whether that could be ultimately buying the location that we're in and, and expanding on that or, or purchasing something else. I think that's a, a something that you identify in a vision, you know, like we want to be owners of our property. And so that I think is changing things for us. But to break it down more simply than that, We need to be able to do more classes. We need a little bit more space in the kitchen so that we can survive. (laughs) And that's really what it is. Like we just want to be able to make a little bit more. We want to be able to teach a little bit more. And I think we can get to a point where we're we're happy and and successful then. What do you mean by triple bottom line? Yeah. So, you know, in traditional business speak, the bottom line refers to the profit. So every decision is, is fueled by that. Are we making money? Are we losing money? And it can create a lot of really toxic 
work environments. And so with a triple bottom line, which is um, something that I first learned about, I think, at, at Avalon International Breads, you're working for a more sustainable business. So you're thinking not only about the profit, but you're thinking about people and the planet. And so with people, you're really making every decision based on how is this affecting my employees, my customers, my neighborhood, the farmers that we work with, basically anyone who's affected by Sister Bride, me, I have to remember that part sometimes, but you know, you have to think about just the people. And I think for us, that's been both the, the easiest to choose, but the most difficult to pursue. And then the planet, you know, being a food business, we produce a lot of waste. And so constantly trying to reconfigure how we can use our food scraps better and waste less. And that's also a, a, an area where there's just constant room for improvement. And so I think of it as being sustainable in so many ways in the sense that committing to those things is making your business actually more sustainable. You know, employees will stay for longer. Hopefully the world will be better. But also like financially, you're building a business that can can last, which will make those other two things much more significant. And so, yeah, that's the triple bottom line. <laughs> I found myself getting away from myself. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Um, I think the seasonal nature of things really helps knowing that I've got this structure to work with. Like I've got sour cherries right now. What am I going to do to sour cherries? And so it's easy for me at least to think then about um, like fresh herbs and citrus and nuts and seeds and cheeses and all that stuff and just things that we like to eat. We also talk a lot in the kitchen. You know, there's some things that um, we don't have like official recipes for. We might like make up a scone recipe every once in a while. And, and that's sort of just based on what people like. And I think I first came into the business really having an idea of what I thought was delicious. And that came from my experience living in New York and working in New York for sure and kind of wanting to like push the envelope as much as I can. But I think living in the Midwest and having my bakery in the Midwest, it becomes much more about what's approachable, what's accessible, and how does that combine with these other things that we want to do. So that comes from a lot of different people's opinions. I find um, pie baking and especially crust baking very intimidating. Sure. So what advice do you have for like a novice yeah. pie baker? I don't mean this as a plug to my book at all, but I <laughs> will say <laughs> like the dough chapter in the cookbook is the one that I feel the most proud of because it was created directly from me teaching many, many pie classes at our bakery where we taught how to make the pie dough. And so I've really... I think I've found a way to like describe it that's very approachable. So there's that. <laughs> but then I would also just say, and this is going to seem like kind of a cop out of an answer, but practice. Because it's like making bread, I think. You, you really have to just do it so many times so that you start to understand what you're doing wrong. You start to understand how your oven is different. You start to understand what kind of pan you like using the best. And I mean, it's a great thing to practice because you just constantly have pie. And even when pie's ugly, it's still really good. But I really do think that's the trick because, you know, we have bakers from all different experience levels coming into Sister Pie. You know, a couple of them maybe did go to culinary school, have worked in other places, or a couple of them were Brittany and, and you know, we're right out of high school. And for every single person, learning how to crimp the dough is a challenge. doesn't matter how experienced you are. It's just, it's like developing a new skill and dexterity, truly. And so I think you only get it, you have like that aha moment one day where you're like, oh, if I just slightly move my hands differently, and I don't, I don't know that it can be taught. I think it can be taught at various levels, but I think ultimately you, you learn it from practice. Yes. You do it without a poison arc. I don't have a poison arc. <laughs> oh yeah. We make all of our pie dough for better or for worse by hand. 
currently, yeah. Um, we, I mean, it's ridiculous. We make batches. It's truly ridiculous. We make batches of dough that make nine rounds. So that's nine pies. Sometimes it's less than nine pies if it's a double crust. So like every morning, Brittany or someone else will come in and make two rounds of dough. So it's enough for 18 pies. It's not a great thing. But um, I think it is also what makes the dough good. So yeah, you can make it in just like a stainless steel bowl. And it's really, it's, it is quite straightforward once you, once you get the hang of it. Yes? So what does a typical day look like? Are you making 18 pies in a day? I think like during the week, it is a little bit closer, like 24 to 30 pies that thinking about the fact that we're also making a bunch of other stuff that's not pie related, but that each pie is like a several day long process. Um, when we have weddings, you know, we could be making more to like between like 60 and 80 pies a day. And at Thanksgiving, we make a thousand pies that week, which is a pretty significant increase for us. <laughs> we make a thousand pies over the course of three days. For the past however many years, I've personally loaded them all into the oven. I don't know if that's going to happen this year. Actually, Molly did some of them last year. But um, there's 16 employees. We all kind of, well, Angie and I are a little bit more big picture these days, but everyone is trained in all three areas. Um, maybe not every single aspect of all three areas, but and all three areas are um, baking, dishwashing, and front of house, so serving the customers. Um, then we have a couple of office employees, but pretty much everyone has their hands in the kitchen at any point throughout the week. There's no one who's truly straight up just at a computer. And so at Thanksgiving, we've pretty much got all hands on deck, which makes it our smoothest week of the year. And then we take four days off right after. <laughs> so we're all really working toward that. I mean, last year, I remember every night of Thanksgiving week last year, I was in bed or I was in my apartment by like 7 p.m., which was just crazy. And that just, I think, proves that it's the one time of year that we like prep for so much. Like we're making stuff in advance, but we're also just like mentally preparing that once those three days come, we're all just like busting it. It's a really fun energy. And when you come in the bakery that morning and we're all just like high on, on <laughs> making pies and there's so lots funny. of music and there's just like way too many people in the space. It's just like a really special time. We're like, we got like sales goals. And if only every day could feel like Thanksgiving at sister yeah. pie, you know? Yeah. It's a lot harder to maintain the, the rest of the year. All right. Should we sign some books? Thank the three of you so thank much. You. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, Angie, and Brittany, for visiting us in Seattle. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Sister Pie and any other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. We have signed copies of Sister Pie and many of the featured books you've heard here. And as I said earlier, it's holiday time. Signed books make great gifts. Be sure to get one of those while they last. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Laura Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.